Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. And I'm so thrilled to have my good friend who's been on the podcast a number of times, Robert Morgan. Robert Morgan's been a pastor for over 40 years. He's right here in the Donaldson, Tennessee area. And how did we actually become friends? Was it through Mo Proctor? I think so, yes. Of course, I knew about you before then. I knew about you when you were uh, at Moody and earlier in your career. But I'm not sure that we had actually met one another until Morris brought us together. At an NRB uh, years ago, maybe. It could be. It may be that that you asked me for an interview or something because I've had books, you know, in the past. But I I cherish our friendship now. We're, We're closer now than we've ever been. And and I love it. Amen. Amen. Little known secret about Rob Morgan. Uh, he's probably the only guy, David Jeremiah, let's preach for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that says a lot. Um, but since he's uh, retired from Donaldson Fellowship and uh, after the loss of his precious, precious wife, Katrina, he's got a little more margin. So I love taking advantage of of our time together, and you've been kind to come preach at Stonebridge for us. I love it. And um, and you're a guy that's in the Word. For those of you that know Mo Proctor and Logos Bible Software, Rob Morgan is the man who discipled Mo. And so Mo and I often talk about, you know, little trade secrets about Rob's quirkiness and how much we love him and how God uses him. <laughs> but the man knows the scripture. And on this series on prayer, and in, in particular today, we're talking a little about meditation. Rob has a book called Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation, Finding True Peace in Jesus. And when was this published, Rob? Oh, it's been four or five years ago. It's still in print. Thomas Nelson Publications. Uh, yes, yep. it, it's a gift book from the Thomas Nelson Gift Book Division, which means, you know, they make it very pretty. It's a very lovely gift to give to other people. And a lot of times, these gift books, they don't have a lot of content. But if I have my name on a gift book, then I certainly wanted to have some content. And I felt that this art of biblical meditation— is something not only that has been neglected, but actually people were afraid of because of Christians were afraid of because they identify meditation now with all of this stuff that's going on, you know, that's come to us from the Eastern religions and the transcendental stuff and all of the... So when I told people I was writing a book on meditation, I got a lot of negative comments from people in the church who said, I never thought that you would get into that. <laughs> we knew you were quirky, but not that quirky, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let me just scan the contents uh, for our listeners. Why is biblical meditation important? Biblical meditation, a focus on the wonder of God and gaining perspective, seeing yourself, calming your spirit and finding peace, helping you understand God's word, gaining insight into God's will, techniques for effective meditation. We don't have to sit in a a lotus position, do we? No, no. Uh, I I can't even get into that position. (laughs) (laughs) Or if we do, we can't get out of it. Yes. Uh, Finding godly success and uh, hiding God's word in your heart by memorizing the scripture, which is one of Anyone who listens to you preach always has their mouth hanging open, watching you without looking at a note, reclaim and recite scripture. Uh, First of all, let's talk about, so give us a clear definition on what meditation is and isn't. 
Well, meditation is not having your mind emptied, which is similar to what the the more secular definitions of meditation would be, uh, that you are to have mantras or you are to empty your mind or you are to think about nothing except your breathing uh, and feel the the air go in and out of your nostrils, you know. The meditation is, is not this emptying of our mind. It's the filling of our mind with Scripture until we are not only thinking about Scripture, but we are thinking Scripture. Mm. Because a lot of times we think about Scripture, and that's meditation. But when we go further and we find that our mind is actually thinking Scripture and thinking scripturally, then we've made some progress with biblical meditation. For me, it begins when I open my Bible, and as I read it, I try to think about it. I mean, it's as simple as that. Right. And I use a wide-margin Bible and a pencil. I get an engineer's pencil. I found a particular kind that I like that I can write in the margins, and then if I don't like what I've written, I can erase oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I begin thinking about what I'm reading and making notes there. And I'm not trying to find sermons. Right. Now, later they may become sermons, but I'm trying to feed my soul. And so, at, at its most basic sense, meditation is really nothing more than that. So, we're in a very fast-paced culture. I know you're not as into the technology and, and the computers and tablets and phones like most of us are. That works, against, in my view, that works against a meditation, a calming, a resting. A, you know, I, I, I similarly, uh, I take a lot of notes in my Bible, but those are notes to me. And a lot of times I go, MJE, pay attention to this, you know, because yeah. when I'm reading it, I'm going, you know, and you and I perhaps have a similar problem. I'll start reading the scripture. I don't get very far because I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is sort of getting my attention and I need to meditate on it and think about it and be convicted by it or maybe be con- con- uh, encouraged by it. This seems to be lost, Rob. Yes, and I don't know if you can, I don't know how to use your electronic Bible for serious Bible study. Now, I know, of course, we both have Logos. We can do exegetical studies, and it's invaluable to us in studying the Bible. But how to read the Bible devotionally off of a tablet, if I were to do that, if I only had my Bible on a tablet or on my phone, I would have to have a notebook or a pad, and I would have to to find ways of making notes. Now, I'm sure there's technologies, of course, that, that... Well, let me interrupt for just a second. The neuroplasticity in neuroscience has pretty well demonstrated a tactile communication with a pen and a paper or a pencil and a book. There's more retaining going on, more interacting than a tablet where we thumb through. Yeah, absolutely. And my son-in-law, Joshua, who you know... Yes. Uh, used to have his devotions electronically, and now he always uses a Bible and a pencil and pen. He just said he gets so much more out of it. You mentioned David Jeremiah. His habit is to uh, write down every word of the text for his devotions that wow. day. He keeps a notebook, and if he's in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 or something, he will write that out, it. and he says there is something about writing it. 
that uh, helps him engage in the meaning of it more than if he just reads it with his eyes. Yeah, I, there was a time I did that. There was a time when I was in Grand Prairie, Texas, serving a church there, and I would write out the passage I was going to to teach. And the same kind of experience. It was something, and you see things differently than reading it off a page. And I, I'm also struck by the king, who is supposed to, with the scribe's assistance, make a copy. Mm-hmm. of probably just the first five books, what we know as the Pentateuch, yeah. right? Yeah. He was to make a copy of that. Think about yeah. the, the richness. Yeah, and especially uh, Deuteronomy, I think, was especially critical. But there is something about making notes in your Bible or on a pad beside your Bible, and I do both. Do you journal? Yes, I do. Do you go uh, back and read journals? Not often, although I'm wanting to go back and transcribe them all and put them oh, in an electronic version, but I don't know. I'd hire, I, hire somebody. <laughs> uh, yes, I may hire somebody to do that. Well, I journaled for about 10 years, and I got depressed. I'd go back and read my journals, and I was, man, you, you're stuck in the same hole. <laughs> well, so here's the way that I journal. Um, okay, help us out. How's yeah, a journal? Yeah. I have a notebook. It's a loose leaf, five and a half by eight and a half, and I have a paper calendar in the front of it. I've got different tabs. I'm, you know, uh, quirky. You're organized. And, uh, and so I will put, you know, the date, September so-and-so. I'll say where I am, Nashville. Yes. Yesterday I was in Run Mountain. The day before I was at the beach. So, And then I'll say I'm so glad to get home today get back to work. I may not say a lot. I may say I've got an interview with uh, Dr. Easley today and and working on this sermon, but it, it helps me keep track of my life. And then I will come to where I'm reading right now, uh, which is in Deuteronomy. And I'll just say Deuteronomy 1 verses 21 through, and I'll just pick up my Bible at that point. And I will start with that passage. And the Puritans tended to say that we don't need to read through the Bible quickly. Uh, we need to read through it slowly. Carefully. Uh, and there may be, I may spend a week in Deuteronomy chapter one. Mm-hmm. That's a very rich chapter. It's where I happen to be right now. And I'll make notes in the margin of my Bible. And I'll make some, if it lends itself to just a really good outline, or if there's a verse that really speaks to me or something I want to remember, I'll write it down in the journal. But it may not be more than a paragraph. But then do you go back to that journal to recall that? Occasionally I do. If okay. I am say six months from now, if I'm preaching from Deuteronomy, okay. then I want to go back and make sure that if I saw some outline or insight that I haven't forgotten it. But there's something wonderful about using the margins on your Bible. Yes. One of the people who taught me this was Billy Graham's wife, Ruth. She had a wide margin Bible, and she would go out and buy cigarette paper from the people that made the cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Because she found that she would run out of space on the margins, and this was before the day of post-it notes. Mm -hmm. And so she was just, with a a dab of spit, she could write down what she wanted on that cigarette paper and add it to the margin. So her Bibles, I think, are on the vaults now. I don't know well, that we can see them. But because it wouldn't be thick and it wouldn't add you know, a lot of volume. That was brilliant. Right. It was brilliant. brilliant. And she, she was very particular about She used a rapidiograph pen. I love rapidiographs. Yeah. And uh, she was very particular about her pen. She had her quirks, too. But, um, but she was full. I mean, whenever you talk to her, Scripture just came out of her. And insights— out of scripture. 
I remember once I said to her, I said, Ruth, I'm very depressed today. I'm discouraged about this problem that I've got. And she said, well, do you know the story of the 12 spies? She said, uh, and, and the 12 spies in the book of Numbers, she said, 10 of the spies compared themselves to the giants, but two compared the giants with God. And she turned around and walked away. That's all she said. <laughs> but I have never forgotten that. You know, well, that comes from meditation. Mm. You know, that comes from thinking about the passages you're reading. D- differentiate or expand upon how meditation is the same or different than prayer. Well, meditation, it depends on how you define prayer. If prayer is an active conversation between you and the Lord, then when you are meditating on his word, then you are meditating on his voice, you are listening to his voice, and so you are in communication with him. And that's a form of prayer. If we think of prayer simply as our speaking to God, then meditation is unless we take what we are meditating on and turn it into a prayer and speak to God in the first person. You know, dear Lord, I, I want to ask you to help me not to be afraid, not to be discouraged, to remember that you are with me wherever I go. And we are using Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. We're meditating on that and turning it back into conversation with God. Then it's a prayer from us to him. But if we are just thinking through what he has said to us and making application, then it's him speaking to us through his word. And so it depends on whether you define prayer as one-way communication or as two-way communication. Can you think of, if if you're willing, uh, something recently that you are meditating on and it just struck you anew? Or, you know, in my case, I always say I was hit with two bricks on the side of my head. And God said, okay, easily, you're being stupid here. Don't you remember? Anything come to mind that, you know, you've been meditating on and ruminating on and and has really ministered to you? Oh, yes, of course. I will. Well, here's one that's very personal. About four or five months ago, I was trying to determine what to do about my role at my church, which I'd had for 43 years, been a senior pastor for 38 years, and a teaching pastor for another five. So I'd been there for 43 years, and I was growing increasingly discontent. I'll just leave it at that. And on a Saturday morning, I was reading through Isaiah, and I came to Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. And those verses say, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Even now it springs up. Do you not see it? I will make for you a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And I said, Lord, are you telling me that you want me to shift gears into a new endeavor in life to let go of what I've been doing for 43 years so I can devote myself full time to what you have for me at this time. And we were just coming up on August 28th. And August 28th would have been my 46th wedding anniversary and my 45th year Mm -hmm. as pastor. And it's also on the calendar 828 as in Romans 828. (laughs) And I kept looking at that verse, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see, I am doing a new thing. 
And as I thought about that, it not only persuaded me that this, uh, and I just turned 70 this year, it persuaded me this was the, the perfect time to shift gears and to, to move into uh, the next phase of full time of whatever the Lord may have for me. But also, when it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And I've been thinking about that verse a good deal while I was walking on the beach last week because I was on vacation. It helps you just to let go of petty grievances and feelings of bitterness or feelings that maybe you were marginalized or whatever it is, you know. Forget the former things. You know, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Even now I'll make for you a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so the meditating on those two verses has been not only spiritually therapeutic, but it helped me really was instrumental in making a life decision. How do we, uh, and, and I know you well enough and trust you well enough with what you've just said, how do we guard against taking a passage out of context and applying it to a situation, because uh, I'm thinking of, uh, not to be indelicate, but let's say that there's a, a, a couple that's really in, their marriage is in tumult, and a woman or a man hears that and go, yeah, that's a good, I mean, the Lord told me to get out of this marriage. And that may not be a fair example. My point being, how do we prevent from taking those passages and applying them in a way that maybe they <laughs> yes. weren't supposed to be. Oh, and that happens all the time, doesn't yes. it? Yes. I remember when I was a young man, there was a church in Dothan, Alabama, that asked me to come. And it was the first church that ever asked me to come. And I looked in the Bible, and it says something like, Joseph went down to Dothan. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, is the Lord telling me something? No, Michael, I just think we have to be good enough Bible students to follow your the in-context mantra of your life. You know, we have to be good enough Bible students. And as we read and study the Bible day by day, we come to, to understand we've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. We have got to look at things in their setting. We've got to be careful about who is being addressed in that promise. But it also, while we have to take everything in context, as those who rightly divide the word, there are exegetical reasons for taking passages that are intended for other people and applying them to ourselves if we do it in a way that doesn't violate biblical integrity and, and is spirit-led. For example, when the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you, that really was spoken to Joshua. That was God's word for Joshua as he was getting ready to succeed Moses and to go into the promised land. So what right do I have right. to take that and apply it to me? Well, I have every right because in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, it does that. It says, have you not read how it said, I will never leave you or forsake you? So according to Hebrews, I think it's 13, 12 or 13, 13, I think, according to Hebrews 13, the promise that God gave to Joshua is applicable to all of us Christians who walk with Christ. But if I didn't have the book of Hebrews, I think that I could still look at, I will never leave you and forsake you, and say, that phrase I'm going to claim for myself. 
you know. Well, and there, we also have, and I appreciate your scripture of scripture because we have Christ's words to the disciples. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I'm going, okay, there's an apostolic emphasis there, but there's an audience that's also hearing that. And then, of course, the presence of Christ dwells in us. So, you know, the, this is good homework, good exegesis, good Bible study. You don't have to be an exegete. Yeah, you, uh, go, you follow the cross-references. Let, let me move uh, forward to a couple of your, your chapter titles because you talk about calming your spirit and finding peace. I read this morning a CNN article that talked about the levels of anxiety today are – and, you know, these – let me just say caveat, mTOR – Titles and, and news things, and they don't mean anything, but it just made the observation a lot of people are feeling anxious, and the push of this particular reporter was, you need to see your doctor about your anxiety and fear. And so post-COVID, post-whatever, you know whatever, the economy, we have all, all of our friends in our age category say, don't look at your retirement account. You're in the drink right now. You know, you've lost 20 30% of your retirement investments right now. Just don't even don't look at it. And we get anxious, we get fearful, we get worried. How does meditation help me? Yeah, well, great question. When you meditate on Scripture, what you are doing is displacing one thought with another. So, and here it really helps if you will find some verses and memorize them. Now, everybody can memorize Scripture unless they have mental illness or Alzheimer's or something. Generally, even when we're as old as I am and and as you'll be one day when you're well, my age. I'm just five years behind you, brother. Uh, <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't the years, uh, it's the miles, right? But we can, if we move, we'll memorize our new address. If we have a new grandchild, we'll learn that name real fast. If we have to get a new phone number, then it may take us a while, but we'll, we can all memorize things. So we need these passages that we memorize. And then when we wake up in the middle of the night and we're worried about our retirement account, we're worried about inflation rate and whether or not we can afford Thanksgiving dinner. You know, if you let your mind dwell on those things, it will keep you up. So what I do when I wake up in the middle of the night is I just start quoting my scriptures. And very often I go to the Psalms. I like to begin with Psalm 1, which is about meditation. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. And I may go to Psalm 23. I may go to Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence comes my help. I may go to Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his... But I will just let those verses filter and flow through my mind like oil through an engine or like water through a fountain. And I find that I can relax and go back to sleep because I'm doing what Paul said in Colossians 3, and that is setting my mind on things above. And by the way, you do the same thing with great hymns, the great hymns of the faith. When I'm on an airplane and I'm tired and I can't read and, and I'm too tired to watch anything on the screen, I'll just lean over against the side of the plane, close my eyes, and, and either let Scripture or the great hymns of the faith mm -hmm. cycle through my mind. It's almost one and the same, because a very good hymn is simply an individual Bible study that is versified and set to, music. to music. Yeah. When I was in a seminary, there was a, a man who had been in a, a Vietnam prison camp 
for, and if memory serves, I want to say it was five years. And he was seen many times in the library or on a bench, and he wasn't asleep, but he was in another place. And um, we all respected him and sort of, you know, gave him space. But one of my professors, Dr. John Hanna, told me he went up one time and asked him, and he divulged that when he was in, and if memory serves, and I could be wrong, it was one of those tanks that was, you know, the bamboo things that was half in the water when they tortured these prisoners, horrible conditions. So he's half in the water and half out of the water, and you're dealing with all that and sick and dysentery. And he said he wished he had memorized more scripture, but he knew the hymns. And he could go to a place and to use your words, I would guess he's meditating, and he would recite and sing those hymns quietly over and over and over. And this wasn't some Eastern mysticism, altruistic you know, mantra. This was a focused on the words. And I, I wish I would have known him well enough to say, what were the hymns that you recalled? What were the ones that carried you through? But I remember Dr. Hannes, you know, basically saying, shame on us that we haven't committed more scripture to memory and more good hymnology to memory. Yeah. Because when you are in those literal and metaphorical horrible places. This is famous. I mean, this is, this is classic Christian history. I have a friend in Germany, Johannes Schroeder, whose uh, grandfather was imprisoned as a Christian in Russia. And Johannes still has the prison Bible. All of their Bibles were taken away, but all of these Christians would contribute what they remembered from Scripture, and they would put together a prison Bible. And uh, prison Bibles were, have been very famous in the history of the persecuting church. Uh, it's just made up of what people could compile based upon their memory. And Johannes has his father's memorized prison Bible. And the same is true for hymn books. I mean, I've read similar stories about the Vietnam POWs, which is another tangent of mine, is the, the contemporary Christian music that we are singing today may be and often is very good, but it is not lasting. You know, it may last three months or six months or a year, but it doesn't last decades. Even songs like Shout to the Lord, which had a pretty good shelf life, no one sings that much anymore, and I don't know why, indescribable and awesome God and all of these songs, but they, they come and go so quickly. And because of that, people are not memorizing the lyrics. Well, when we took the hymn books out and projected lyrics on the screen, which I'm not against, but we didn't project the music yeah. on the screen. So now those who could or couldn't, they can't read music any longer. And best case scenario, churches put the lyrics up. But I'm back to that neuroplasticity, neuroscience, that something about holding a hymn book and a Bible yeah. seems to me, I, I'm old, seems to me to have some more reinforcement than everything off screen, off my phone, off my tablet. I just bought a, a hymn book that I didn't have uh, the other day at Goodwill. <laughs> when I was, Love it. But when my wife Katrina was near death, um, and confused and not thinking clearly, I was lifting her into bed, and she started saying all at once, my gracious master and my God assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the glories of thy name. 
And it's because she had sung that hymn for 70 years, off and on, for decades and decades and decades. It's so interesting, the number of people that have dementia or some iteration, Alzheimer's. I have a precious, godly friend up in uh, Maryland and his wife losing most of her communication skills. And there was a a church and some uh, Baptist ladies that came over with a little boom box and his wife sang every word mm-hmm. of every hymn, and he just sat there and wept. He yep. said this. So they started doing that. You know, I've got story after story. Yeah. So you know something about the way our our mental decline, but yet what we have committed to our heart and retained. So the process, Michael, is is really to me, it's very simple. You get a, a Bible and a pen, and you read. Now and for friends that don't know what pens are, like. <laughs> And there's no office supply store anymore, but you can buy a whole bunch of them on Amazon you can for buy a couple of bucks. Pencils or pens or or call me and I'll send you Dig one. Dig around in your drawer. You probably have one. But you just you just start with Philippians, which I know you recently preached through. Uh, I listened to one of your sermons, actually, as I drove over here. And you just look at it and think about it and circle and underline and make notes and engage mentally. And then maybe you find... A wonderful verse like Philippians 1.6, which you don't believe is a sanctification verse, but you memorize that. <laughs> I'm so impressed you remember that. <laughs> uh, uh, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. But you, that, you can memorize verses like yes. that. And then you learn to think about them as you drive down the road or as you're going to bed at night or as you uh, lay down for a few minutes in the recliner to rest or or when you're in your shower, whatever it is, you just think about it. Well, there is something about thinking about Scripture that begins to remold and heal your thoughts, and that brings calm. That's Romans 12. We are renewed by the... We are transformed by the renewing renewing of of our mind. mind. Not as you used to think, but as you ought to think. You and I as pastors have had the uh, otherworldly... Sometimes it's almost embarrassing in a spiritual way experience of going into a hospital room or a messed up marriage or a home and you're with people and you open a passage and you read it and it's completely quiet. They are spellbound. And I think, why why does it take, quote, the holy man, which is a joke, close quote, to go into those situations? I visited a woman who's in her 90s and uh, has a DNR code and has some heart complications. And fireball of a Christian, fireball of a Christian, late in life. And I read Psalm 46 to her, and she kept interrupting me. Oh, I needed to hear that. Oh, that is wonderful. Oh, and she was weeping. By the time I finish Psalm, of course, I am too, right? Because you can't antiseptically just go in there not connecting. But but back to your point, it's we get so uh, you know distracted by the news aggregates, the cable TV, whatever it is that we read, watch, ingest, and we, yet we've got this book in every iteration, language, I mean, uh, you know, version, wide margin, narrow margin, pocket size, and yet we don't spend time in it. Well, I feel sorry for people who don't. I couldn't live without it. I don't know what I'd do. I would be depressed and lost and confused and angry and bitter and everything else. But, you know, I, I was trained when I was 19 with good mentors to every morning have my devotions. Mm-hmm. 
And that's been the most important habit that I've ever had. And then I learned to get a wide margin Bible and I learned to make notes along the way. And, you know, the other thing, Michael, is that not only does meditation help us mentally, personally, spiritually, and equip us to to minister to other people, but it's also the missing link in sermon preparation. It's if you don't we have our exegesis. So we sit down with whatever passage it is. We study it out very carefully. We make sure we understand the the broader context, the more immediate context. We we understand as best we can the Hebrew and Greek shadings of the words and and everything. But then to put all of that aside and go for a long walk and mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. How do I explain this to people? What does this really mean to me? How do I apply this to my life? And that's where, in my experience, it comes to life. Mm-hmm. Yes, it absolutely does. Be- because when you write it or put it on a word processor and you get your little outline and you get your word style all done until I have said it out loud a few times and thought about it and moved away from the details of the commentaries that you and I are probably alike. I've never studied enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've never been content with, I've done enough homework on this passage to preach it, but Sunday's coming. And so you have to stop at some point. But then when you start internalizing it and thinking about it, and you and I have done this long enough to know when someone opens a scripture and teaches it, you know if they know from where they're talking about or it's just what they've gleaned. Yeah, and, you know, the great preachers of the past rode horses. They didn't have radios. And you got to wonder what they, you know, what they thought about, yeah. They, they spent a lot of time on that horse going somewhere thinking about what they had been studying yeah. and mentally preparing their sermons. And I got to believe saying it out loud. Yeah. I got to believe they were yeah. saying it out loud as they were to, to memorize yeah. their points. You know? Absolutely. And I have to do that too. Um, I get sermon writer's block. I'll get to a certain point. I've and never had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say, how do I explain this? What do I say next? And I'll just leave my desk. I'll walk through the backyard. Sometimes I may get in the car and just drive around a few blocks, but I will just be thinking about that. And by the time I sit down, I've got a much better idea about how to apply it, how to put it down, and 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 that's meditation. Final thought about meditation and, and also about prayer, Rob, you know, because in some respects, we're, we're saying very similar things because in meditation, we are praying. Yeah. So final thought that you leave us with when it comes to biblical meditation, as well as how we think about prayer. Well, the most effective prayer is when we pray the words of Scripture, because that's the only time when we don't have to pray if your will be done. You know, we don't know the future. We don't know what's best. Lord, give me that car. Help me to buy this house. May I open up that job? I I want this promotion, if it be your will. Mm -hmm. You know, we always have to say, if it be your will, because We don't know for sure, but when we pray Scripture and we say, Dear Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Dear Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Lord, you've said that if anyone asks for wisdom, you will provide it. And so I'm at, when we take the words of Scripture that we have been thinking about and meditating on, then we are praying God's will 
for the things he wants us to have into our lives. And so the more our prayers reflect the words and the thoughts of Scripture, the more powerful they are because the more they are aligned to what God wants for us. Dr. Robert Morgan, he is the author of uh, 30-plus books and counting. This is a, a little bit of an older book, but one that it's got shelf life, Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation to ha- Find True Peace in Jesus. You'll find information on the show notes. You, as always, you can find these books anywhere online that you purchase books. Not just Amazon reminds you, but anywhere books are sold. And uh, Rob's a dear friend. We've uh, had him on the podcast before on both Red Sea Rules and his newer book, The Jordan Rules, Jordan Sea Rules. All that information available on, in context. You can search around and find it. Rob, thank you for being my friend. Thank oh, you, for, you are welcome. for teaching at Stonebridge from time to time. And thanks for coming to the studio today. It's always a, a, a great, it's a blessing just to listen to you talk. Oh, you're my brother. Thank you so much, Dr. Easley. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.